Okay, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Some of you say, I know that verse. I know that verse. How many times have we said it? How many times did that just come to our attention at the right time, even when it was a puzzling time? It's a, we don't know what's going on here, Lord, but this is the verse we quote, right? In our uh, scriptures... It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Very significant passage for us today. And we're going to ask the Lord's help before we even get started. Heavenly Father, before us is a statement about who you are and what you do. We need to listen to it. Because in this statement, uh, it involves us. It involves this hour. It involves this day. It involves this life. And we're so thankful that you are a God who is involved in our lives this hour, this day. We thank you, Lord, for your constant care for us. As your word tells us, you're with us. All the time. You know when we rise up. You know when we lie down. You know even the words that are coming off our tongue before they're even spoken. You know our hearts. You know our direction. You know our thoughts. You know our intentions. You know our future. What an amazing God you are and the thoughts of you are so great. So great. It's impossible for us to know them all. But we do have your word in front of us today, and we seek to know it, to know it better, so that we can respond better to who you are and what you're doing, so that we can be more confident in what you are and what you've done. And so help us with our passage today to grasp it well and to use it well for your honor, for your glory, but also for our good. Thank you for this time. May our hearts and our thoughts be drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I I would think that perhaps after six years of presenting God's Word to you, you may have caught on to some particular approach I follow. I try to be consistent in this. God is the sovereign God. I believe that with all my heart. God is the sovereign God. He is creator. He is author. He is the initiator, he is the planner, he is the provider, he is the savior, he is the sustainer, he is the fulfiller of all things. Especially personally, I know that's true of my life and my salvation. I count on that. Now, you know, I don't take credit for anything I am in this life. This is what the Lord has done, what he's done in my life. All that I am and all that I've done... This is God's work, and I give him the glory for that. Abraham Lincoln said these words many years ago. He says, I believe the will of God prevails. With him, all human reliance is vain. Without the assistance of that divine being, I cannot succeed. And with the assistance, I cannot fail. I believe I am a humble instrument in the hands of our Heavenly Father. I desire that all my works and acts may be according to his will, 
and that it may be so, I give thanks to the Almighty and seek his aid. That's a powerful statement. Sounds wonderful when the leader of a country says things like that. Charles Spurgeon said this, My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in what Christ is, in what he has done, and is what, what now he is doing for me. That's where his faith rested. I, I have a feeling that's where we all are today. I trust that's where we all are today. And none of these words I share with you are foreign to you. To say he's a, the sovereign God, to give him the credit for everything, is not a strange thing to come from, maybe from this pulpit, but from the audience as well. I don't aim to be complicated today. All right? I want to show you what I see in God's Word. I simply ask that you open your heart and seek to understand and appreciate what God is doing right now in your lives. I've spent several weeks, I know, in verse 26 and 27, highlighting our weakness. It's a little more than weakness now, isn't it? It's a helplessness. It's a, it's a strengthlessness is what the text is talking about. I spent a lot of time on that point just to make it for this reason that I shared today. I made a strong point of showing as well from verse 27 that we do not know how to pray. We spent some time on that passage. What to pray, when to pray, to what degree we should pray. Now, that's not a critique on your desire, folks. All right? That's not a critique on our desire or our practice of prayer. Because I know that you're a praying congregation. We know that, don't we? Things come up and we go into prayer about it. Yet so many of us would have to confess, and I think all of us would, we don't have perfect knowledge in prayer, do we? Uh, we don't know what we perfectly need. Uh, we don't know what the perfect answer is. We don't even know the perfect words. It's true. We do not know how to pray. And the text has told us that. So, these two things are reality to us. The reality that we have no strength and we don't know how to pray. Those are pointed out in those two verses for us. But those are important words because that doesn't leave us without a remedy. We also have in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. Matter of fact, He does it very intensely. Even the point of groaning on our behalf. He knows it's better than we know ourselves. And he knows intensely how to intercede on our behalf. We saw in verse 27 that the Holy Spirit is also interceding for us intelligently. For it goes on to say there that he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He knows God's desire. He knows God's will. He knows God's plan. And don't you like the idea that he prays according to that? He knows what we need. Intelligence beyond us interceding on our behalf. Those are important words. And that's why I don't mind pointing out our weakness because it only shows his strength. And that's what we've looked at here. Now, with that, very naturally, we move into the next paragraph, starting in verse 28, 
all the way through verse number 30, and we talk about God's plan. And we are just as secure in that plan as we are in anything God is doing. His plan is is not to be thwarted. Now some people say, well, I don't know. Sometimes my attitude gets in the way. Sometimes my actions. You're not greater than God. Just remember that. He's God. You're not. His plans do not get thwarted. He knows. That's the kind of God we have. And as we talk about him today and we talk about his plan, I'm going to underscore for the next several weeks, you are secure in God's plan. And I'll show you why today. I'll show you why as we start into verse number 28. When it says, And we know that God calls us all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That is linked directly to the previous verses. Alright? Now, I'm going to read you my translation of it. Not that it makes it sound more uh, theological or more religious or anything of that nature. It's just, I have fun translating from Greek to English and, and sometimes I do decent, sometimes it's pretty rough. And what I teach my students is this. Translate it as rough as you possibly can. Put the words in the order they are, so everyone can see them in those orders. And it may not sound much like English, but it sure does make its point. And this is what the text says when you pull it right from the Greek into English. And we are perfectly knowing that to the ones who are loving God, God is working together all things into a good thing. Isn't that quite a statement? God is working together all things into a good thing. To the ones who are being called ones, according to a plan. Now that's a mouthful of words. There are four things that kind of stand out here, and I'm going to show them to you in just a little bit. But one commentary stated this, and I thought it was so wonderfully said. I just bring it to you as I read it. This passage is a kind of summary of the first 27 verses. It prepares for, and to the extent is similar to the grand climax found in verses 37 through 39, what can separate us from the love of God? It cannot be fully understood, verse 28, cannot be fully understood except in the light of verses 1 through 27. More times than not, I know it's true we pull out that verse just at the moment it's needed, at the circumstance that brings it up. The context is vital to get the full flavor of this verse. And that's what we're going to seek to do here, because he says, verse 28 draws a conclusion, a very comforting conclusion. And I hope that's exactly where we are today, because we cannot separate these verses, 28 from verse 26, 27, or any of the verses that go before it. Because the very first word is what? Oh, you see it there. It may be for, it might be and. You see a word there? That's called a conjunction. You know what those are for? They link the passages together. My dad worked for the railroad for, I don't know, 35, 40 years. Used to go down and watch the trains. Love watching the trains. Trains don't work well when they're uncoupled. 
They're meant to be linked together. That little word is a linking word. It's a very important word here. It links it to the last thought. All right? So we don't want to miss the little word as we do this. Now, what's interesting about it is, in the Greek, it's not the typical word for and. We have a word that just sits there and it says and, and it just links everything together in a beautiful and, and simple way. This is the letter de, D-E, de, is the way we pronounce it. And it can be said of four different things. And now that's not the four main points, but here's four things that that little de does. And it could be one of these, it could be all of these. But this is what it does when it links. It could be continuative, like we use the word and, and many of our translations do. And we know. Uh, in other words, it, it takes a previous verse about the Spirit's active intercession on our behalf and the thought of verse 28 that all things are being worked out for our good. Those are natural things to put together, right? If he's in, interceding so intensely and so intelligently, would you be surprised if nothing came together? So that's a natural, and you say, well, okay, it, it continues the thought. We should have an and there. You may translate it as but. It shows a contrast. Day is typically rendered but in translation words. Now, you say, but is that a contrast to the Spirit's praying, and then everything comes together? What does that suggest? <laughs> Somebody's not right in this picture. But actually, the but is in this regard. We do not know how to pray, but we do know this. See the contrast? And that is a beautiful link, because that is true too, isn't it? It's using the same word for know, by the way. We do not perfectly know how to pray, but we do perfectly know this fact. And so, with that, I say, okay, I like that one too. Now, you may have the word for, or now. And it's explanatory. And what it's trying to do is explain to you what is he interceding about. It says he's interceding intensely and intelligently, but what's it all about? It's all about the things being worked together for our good. That makes sense, doesn't it? It's explanatory. It makes sense there, too. Now, the last thing it can be is what we call emphatic. In other words, they translate it, indeed. And this is just to pound the point a little stronger with the hammer. You want to know the Spirit is praying and interceding for you? This is what it comes out to be. And look at the end result. Indeed, we know that all things work together for good. So, I like all four points, honestly. All four of them come to a place that says, yes, that's true. Those are all true. And I like the way it's, it's linked together. So, I've convinced you by now, I hope, that you have to put it with the previous verse in order to start to get the full flavor of this. Because our strengthlessness, our inability in prayer, on the other hand, the Spirit's intense and intelligent interceding, they're essential parts of the one point we have today. Our security in God's plan is safe because it's based on His working and not on us. That's the point. It's on His work and not on us. So I'm going to spell out the significant items here, and here comes the four things. 
All right. Matter of fact, I'll just tell you what they are because you're going to say, but Pastor, you only covered three of them today. I know. You get the fourth one next week. But the first one is, real. these are real, real heavy things. This is why I've got a doctorate. What we know. That's point one. What we know. Okay. The second point will be what we are. Let's see, the third one. Where is it? What God is doing. That's third. And let's see, number four. I know it's it's here. Uh, why God is doing it. That's pretty profound. <laughs> They're all in this verse. What we know. What we know. Let's start right there. This is key, really. We are perfectly knowing. That's the way Paul starts that phrase, verse 28. We are perfectly knowing. When we talk about God is working, God is working, let's confess something. We are not ignorant of that statement, are we? We cannot plead ignorance in this department. Some hide behind ignorance because they don't want to grow up. They're that old Peter Pan syndrome, right? They just don't want to grow up. They, they don't want to acknowledge this because they don't want to be responsible for what it means. God is working. You know what that requires of us? Trust. And some people don't want to trust. So they don't want to admit it. Paul says, we perfectly know this. <laughs> He's not, he's not going to shield us from the responsibility, the accountability. There's, there's more content, I think, in some people to blame God for things when they aren't right. They're, they're, they're happy that way. They'd rather do that than acknowledge there's a sovereign God at work in their life. I don't know why we do that. But sometimes we look at circumstances. The events that happen to us, or those we know, uh, the events we see on the TV, and the news, and we all have those questions, don't we? We all scratch our heads over some things. There are things we can't put together, like, what, what is the significance of cancer and God's working in my life? What is, what is a tragedy that we read of? How many times do you find a new tragedy in the news? It's almost, I'm almost afraid to turn it on anymore. Oh no, not that too. Just yesterday, the news was full of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And you know what the question usually is? Where was God when that happened? How many times has that been addressed? Been asked over the years? You know, it almost seems like that's a handy way to blame him for being absent, and it happened. We, we do not like the word secure sometimes. There are some who don't especially like the word secure. It makes them feel as if they're not in charge, and they want to be in charge. Security, folks, is God's work. It is what he does. And there are those who really would prefer to work for themselves. You see, they're not at rest, if you get down to it. They're not at peace at all. 
even when you mention the concept of security of the believer to them, uh, they get all worked up. I can tell you that because that was me 35 years ago. That word scared me to death, and it always, like a cat, made my hunch, you know, hunch up my back. I didn't like those words. I was taught not to like those words. But I've seen in God's word that I cannot claim ignorance to the fact that he's working. I cannot do it. I know what I'm about to state today. And it's not based on experience so much, because that's a very poor base to go from. But it's based on what I know in my head and my heart of what God has declared in his word. It's right here in black and white. And as we read this, this states, God is sovereignly at work in us. It states it. We know that perfectly well. And I could spend the rest of my time just on that point, proving it. But I think you're there, too. God is at work. I think you're convinced of that. So let's move on to what we are as our second point. It says, we are perfectly knowing that. And then there's two phrases that pop up. One before the, the statement and one after the statement, at least in the Greek translation. To the ones who are loving God... That's point one in this avenue. And the other is to the ones who are being called. Right? There's identity going on here. When we say that God is at work, do we generally think that God is at work in us because of something we've done or something we've perhaps accomplished that God has noticed? Is that the avenue that we generally go to, to say, well, God's at work because, you know, I qualified for that. Somehow I've done this or I've done that that qualifies me for God's activity in my life. Uh, We pull out our little merit badges and say, I've earned a spot in his favor. It says, those who love God say, well, I earned it. He's at work in me because I love him. Well, let me ask you something. When I read the phrase, those who love God, I want to ask you, how is that possible that we love God? How is that possible that we love him? We were hopeless, Scripture says. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, Scripture says. You're in Romans 8, back up just a few chapters to chapter 5. And verse number 10, and tell me what we were. You see it. What's it say? Romans 5.10. Enemies. Does that sound like somebody who loves God? No. Matter of fact, the whole point of being an enemy means you hate. We were enemies of God. Enemies do not love God. Yet, that same Romans passage, verse 8, says that God demonstrated his own love toward us, even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's my life verse, folks. I love that verse. That's God's love toward us. He saved us. Titus would tell you this, not on the basis of the deeds you have done, He's not a responder with salvation. He doesn't say, hey, they, they got their ducks in a row. I'm going to save that one. 
Hey, that one cleaned up nice. I think I'll save that one. That's not the way he found us. We were hopeless, helpless, dead enemies. Soaked in sin. And he loved us. Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? He loved us, Scripture says. And he, then he saves us and he puts within us the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know that. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's what he starts to build in you. Love. And so John would say this. We love because, and you know the rest of it, he first loved us. So, let me tell you a couple more verses. It's in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7, 8, 9, and 10. These are beautiful words. 1 John, that's the epistle in the back. 1 John 4, 7, 8, 9, and 10. I love the sound of the pages turning. We've got to look at this. This is great. Look at what John writes. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And in this is not is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Who started this? He did. You see, we have to take that into this verse. When it talks about to those who love God, understand, that's the identity of a believer, not the work to earn His love, not the work to earn His favor, It is the identity of one who has his favor, who has his love, who wears his name. See the difference? He's not telling us how we got God's attention in verse number 28. He's talking about our identity. We have been transformed by his love. And because of that now, we're capable of reciprocating that love back to him. We couldn't do it otherwise. So who is Paul talking about in Romans chapter 8. Who is the person? It's the believer. Okay? Who we are. We are believers. That's an identity that's important here. Because, boy, we slap this verse all over everything, don't we? We throw it in, and this bunch, that bunch, this bunch, everybody. We just paint it all over town. You've got to put this verse on everything. It's about the believer, folks. Now, that's not saying that God's not at work in the life of the unbeliever, because he saved you and me. (laughs) He brought us to that point, right? But this is particular. This is a particular verse. This is your security as a child of God. He's at work, folks. He does not neglect his own. And that's important for we get the identity. It's important that we mark that. But there's also another part of the identity, the last part of the verse, when it talks about to those who are called. It's also the word for invited, by the way. Invited. We didn't crash the salvation party. He called us. He invited us. 
John would tell you in his gospel where Jesus is talking, and he says, that God drew you. I love those words. He drew you. Because if he didn't do that, we'd still be out there. We'd still be wandering about. I thank the Lord for that, that side of him where he draws us to himself. He calls us to himself. He invites us to himself. Those are beautiful words in scripture. And that's also the identity of a believer. A believer has been called. He's been chosen, Ephesians 1 tells us. He's been chosen. He's been adopted. He's been redeemed. He's been forgiven. He's been showered by the grace of God. And on and on and on it goes in those passages. We find what I simply say over and over again. God is the initiator of it all. God initiated it. Who we are are responders. We have responded to His call, to His grace, to His love, to His forgiveness. We came because He called. That's our identity. Alright? Now that's an important part of this whole passage here. Because this great work we're reading about in Romans 8.28 is not based on what we have done but on who we are because of God's work in us. See the difference? I want to make that very clear. It's only right that we say this, and I would call it, if you will, spiritually natural. (laughs) This is how God works. He who began the good work in you is the same one who completes it. Philippians 1 verse 6. He's at work. And his calling is not without a reason, folks. His calling is never careless. He didn't save you accidentally. He's not going to say, oops, how'd you get saved? He's intentional about what he does. He's intentional every single time. And it's not a partial calling at that either. When he calls you, he calls you. doesn't kind of call you. It doesn't save you partially. Because he's working in us. His plan is always this way. It's perfect. From end to beginning to end. It's always perfect. It's always complete. It's always thorough. It's always efficient in the way it's designed. Which means God doesn't waste anything. Never has. Never will. I just want to underscore that with you. If you are His, He is at work in you. If you are His, you are loved and you are called. If you are His, you will love Him too. If you are His, then you know that His work is perfect, it is complete, and it is thorough. All right, that's who you are. That's what he does. That's who you are. Now, I want to talk about what he's doing. But before I talk about what he's doing, I want to talk about what he's doing. That sounds funny, doesn't it? But the big picture first and then the little picture. Or if you want to word it that way. Uh, What is God doing? Ephesians 4. Let's go through four little verses here. And I'm I'm going to test you on this. School's starting this week. I'm back to the testing mode. Uh, So I'm going to test you. Uh, Find 
the one thing in common with all four verses that we talk about, okay? Ephesians 1 verse 4. We'll start here. It says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Alright? That's a precious verse. His choosing of us, when he chose us, and what we shall be. Simple thing. Chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 27. Wow, somebody messed up that clock. It's too far ahead. you got to fix that. Uh, verse 27. He might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Now, you marked that? You got a clue where we're going? Let's try Colossians. It's just a few pages more. Colossians chapter 1, verse 22. Philippians, Colossians, there it is. 1.22 Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Something starting to develop as a pattern here. Let's go one more because I could go hundreds more to tell the truth. But it's in Jude. Yes, that's a little book in front of Revelation. Jude, one chapter long, page 1,913 in my book. Jude, verse 24. Jude, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. All right, you caught on. What are the words? Holy and blameless. That's the big picture. What is that? Well, that's what God is doing in your life. And you know what? He will not fail at that task. You will be that way when you stand in His presence. That blows me away just to know that's true. But it is true. But here's what the point of it all is. There is only one that's ever walked this planet that is holy and blameless. And you know who that is. It's our Lord Jesus Christ. And according to Romans chapter 8, and here we are in verse 28, for verse number 29 shows you what's he doing. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. We're going to be like him. That's the big picture. That's what God is doing. He is conforming you to the image of His Son. And that's why verse 28 is so important. This is the process He goes through to bring that about. He's going to make you that way. He's going to make you that way. An embarrassing story. I have to, once in a while, tell you one that's embarrassing I was in first grade. I was terrible. I was in first grade, and I don't know what was wrong with the teacher that day. She got very upset with me. And I don't, I, to this day, I have no idea what it was. But she decided that if I was going to act like somebody in the kindergarten, I'm going to be in the kindergarten. 
and she grabbed me by the hand and started down the hall. I screamed and kicked and squealed. She drugged me down the We can't do that anymore today. Too bad. I mean, it made an impression. I still worry about that teacher. But she drugged me all the way down that hall, and she made me sit with those kindergarten kids. I sat there. That's not who I was. That's what I was acting like, apparently. And she says, well, I'll put you where you belong. Now, I wonder at times if God could give us a snapshot of our Christian life, if that might be the picture we see on the page. He's got us by the hand, and he knows what we ought to be. But we're going kicking and screaming and fighting the whole way. God is at work in you, folks. I, I hardly even got into point three. I mean, point three is right here. And I, I knew I couldn't get to point four, but I didn't know point three would come so quick. Let's stop right there. What we are are a precious group of people that God loves dearly. What we shall be is in the image of his son. Now, isn't that a great place to walk out of the service this morning thinking about that? Beautiful things that we're going to find. We've got more to uncover, good stuff to come uncover, but that's great stuff. So let's talk to the Lord about that. Heavenly Father, we come before you today absolutely amazed at your great love for us. You are wonderful to us. How you have changed our lives forever. We thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. How else can we respond? But to start with praise. You deserve the glory, certainly. You're an amazing God. Lord, there's there's all these believers here together in this place. And yet we know... There could be one or two among us who do not know you, and maybe their hearts being pricked even right now to respond to the call of God to, to know this love and to be ushered into his family forever. If there is somebody among us today who needs a Savior, draw them to yourself, Lord. Only you could do it. We pray that you will and save them forever. What a miracle that is. But for those of us who know that, We rejoice in it today. Thank you for doing it. Doing it in our lives, in my life. What a difference you've made. We praise you for that, Lord. We long to learn more about you. And perhaps this week we'll contemplate more and more on the words we've seen so far. But Lord, as long as you tarry, keep us growing in your word. Till that day when we shall be ushered into your presence. The word thank you face to face. We give you the glory for this now, in Jesus' name. Amen.